Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are in the world. I want to welcome you to the Dismantle Racism Show, where our goal is really to uh, pursue racial equity for everyone. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Today, we are going to be talking about stories of our ancestors. But before we get started, I want to invite us to find our breath and just have a moment of meditation, plant your feet, solidly on the floor or the ground, depending on where you are. If you're driving, of course, I want you to pay attention to the road, but just take a moment to center yourself and find your breath, breathing in and out, to tune into that which gives you life. Take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence. That divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. As you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out. Breathing in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of the changing the status quo. Breathe in and out. Acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. I'll take another deep breath in and sigh it out and let's begin. Before I bring on today's guests, I want to share a bit with you from my upcoming book, Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation, from the inside out. I am so excited because it launches on April 18th. So I want to invite the listeners to please be sure to get your copy by going to sacredintelligence.com forward slash dismantle book, or you can go directly to amazon.com and get your book. It will uh, launch at the special rate of 99 cents on Kindle. So please be sure to get your copy because it will help to spread the message of dismantling racism. And the book is really about how do we continue this journey of dismantling racism? What does it take? Because often it's very overwhelming to do this work. A lot of times, most times is overwhelming. So how do we continue on the journey? And that's what the book is all, all about, giving you insights and tips that will help you to uh, move forward. But because we are looking at stories of our ancestors today, I thought one of the things that I would do is to share with you uh, a section that I call transforming the narratives from the book. Each chapter has a section where I invite the reader to really think about how can we transform the narratives in our lives? How can we transform what we've been told in our lives? about how we should engage in this work. 
So I want to talk to you about Linda. Linda is an African-American woman who struggled with speaking up in spaces where she was typically the only person of color, particularly around issues of race. She felt alone, unsupported, and at times frustrated. She recognized that having been immersed in whiteness, and that is navigating life based on the standards of white as superior, in her career and personal life, she accepted racism as a fact of life. Linda's anger at the murder of George Floyd shook her into action, and we began working together to shift her mindset and practice the necessary tools for speaking truth to power. In time, Linda began to have faith that dismantling racism is not impossible. She began to see that racism can be perpetuated unintentionally, that each of us has a role in dismantling racism, and that silence can be deadly. With practice, she gained the uncertainty needed to speak truth to power. Linda was able to transform her narrative about white, um, about being white, about white, excuse me, being the standard by which she should operate and discovered how to focus her, in her anger in an impactful way. She gained the necessary vocabulary and blueprint to have uncomfortable discussions about race with colleagues, friends, and family members. She also learned the importance of centering herself, keeping her emotions in check and listening for understanding, even if she disagreed with the other person all of which provided amazing insight to continue the discussion and facilitate others' understanding of the issue. In doing so, not only has Linda been able to change her racial narrative, but also the narrative of others. Speaking truth to power is rarely easy, but it is necessary. If you are going to dismantle racism and change the systems that are steeped in inequities, Move forward despite the discomfort and take the sacred intelligence journey of faith. That story is based on Linda. And um, I tell that story when I, in my chapter on speaking truth to power, because if we are going to engage in this work of dismantling racism, we have to be able to call some things out. And so I want to invite you again to go to sacredintelligence.com forward slash dismantle book, and you will have, uh, gain all the information that you need there in order to order, to order the book. Excuse me, I seem to be fumbling over my words today, but we are going to move on today because I want to uh, engage in this conversation so about storytelling and how storytelling actually impacts us. And so we can have narratives about life and some narratives that we need to change, but we can also have stories that need to be told. Sometimes the stories of our history that need to be told, both good and bad, in order for us to grow. And so storytelling has a way of, of having this power is there's a power because within it, we, we gain the foundation of who we are, right? We come to know who we are based on the stories we've been told about our lives. All of us were told stories about how we came into being about our ancestors. And so our stories help to shape us. They help us to understand our struggles and our victories 
and most importantly, our humanity. So my guest today, Terry Franklin, is here because Terry has shared his journey of discovering his family's freedom papers, which we are going to get into today. I want to just tell you a little bit about him um, and, and a let Terry say more about him. Um, Terry practices trust and estates litigations in the Los Angeles, er- Los Angeles area. And I just want to thank Terry right now for getting up so early in the morning to be with me on the show here. Um, he helped found Sachs, Glazer, Franklin, and uh, Lodi. Thank you very much, LLP. An activist for inclusion, he is also a creative artist, pursuing his mission to bend the arc of history towards justice by sharing the story he was born to tell of the will that freed his ancestors from slavery in 1846 and his family's harrowing flight to freedom. He is currently developing a limited series, The Last Will of Lucy Sutton, and a, a suite of related projects. So I want to welcome Terry Franklin to the show. And Terry, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Reverend Dr. Curry. I'm so happy to be here. It's, I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> All right. So Terry and I, we've had wonderful conversations about this. So we'll see how much we can get into on the show today. But Terry, I want to just ask you before we get started, because Anytime we're engaged in work that pulls at the very depths of our souls, I believe that we have to have a way of grounding us. And I talk about that in in my book as well, that, that we need to have some sort of practice that grounds us. And so I know that you are a Nishiren Buddhist practitioner. And so talk to us a little bit about how that helps to ground you in the work that you do. Sure. I'm happy to do that. Um, as a Nichiren Buddhist practitioner, and I, by the way, I, I grew up in a Christian background, a Christian household. We had, between the four of us, we had the president of the congregation, the, uh, the pianist, the organist, the head of the youth group, uh, and uh, AME minister. Uh, <clears throat> but as I grew older, I, I discovered uh, Nichiren Buddhism through um, uh, the man who's now my husband. And a big part of Nichiren Buddhism is um, chanting, nam uh, myoho which means dedication to the mystic law of cause and effect through sound. And what you do is you try to connect with that essential nature that you've been talking about that binds all of us human beings together and makes us understand that we are part of a whole and that we're not separate from one another. Mm-hmm. And a essential part of practicing Buddhism, as we do in Nichiren Buddhism, is that we chant in the morning and in the evening uh, what's called Gangyo, which is uh, two um, uh, uh, sections of the, uh, of the, the uh, Lotus Sutra. And part of that includes a prayer for our ancestors back seven plus generations. And part of it includes a prayer for the happiness and peace of all human, of all living beings. Uh, and the peace of, of everyone in the world. So this morning, uh, as I did as I every, do every day, and, and as I will do this evening, I chanted Nam Myoho Renge Kyo uh, and chanted that portion of the um, of the Lotus Sutra, and that connected me with um, with why we're here today. I chanted for my ancestors and that they would bring me enlightenment and spirit. 
because really it was they who helped me find this story in the first place. Mm, I believe that. I believe that. And I, when you were talking, I was thinking about how beautiful that is that you are intentionally connecting with your ancestors because I, I happen to believe they're with us all the time, but it seems like the, the chanting brings you into this place where you connect with them on a deeper level. Absolutely. And, you know, again, it's about being intentional. I didn't grow up with a sense of my ancestors really being present. They died and they went away to heaven and, you know, someday we'll see them. But I think it's so empowering for all of us to think about the fact that our ancestors existed here on this place, in this plane. Mm -hmm. Their DNA is part of us. Mm -hmm. So where else would they live? most vividly except through our own lives so I, I think that's important and to remember that we will also be the ancestors for those who come after us whether they're from our body or whether they're just people who are aware of us or who feel our spirit that we are ancestors for others who are yet to come exactly and I, energetically we're all connected anyway and of course they're here of course their, their energy is present with us their spirits are present with us and so it really doesn't mean what what whatever tradition you come from, they are here with us. And and that's the power that I know for me that allows me to move forward in this work is knowing that I don't walk alone, that right. they that they are here with me. Terry, we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, we want to hear a, a little bit more about your ancestors and what led you to discover their path uh, to freedom. So we'll be right back uh, with Terry Franklin. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
We are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Terry Franklin. And Terry, before the break, we talked about you connecting with your ancestors really daily in the chanting that you do with your uh, Buddhist practice. But tell me a little bit, because we're, we're here to talk about the fascinating story of your ancestors' paths of freedom. So what led you, what led you down that path and wanting to know all about it? Okay, so I was inspired to really go down this path because of a, a, an important family member. Um, I've been practicing trust in estates litigation for 25 years. So I did will contests and family disputes and things like that. That was part of my practice. But in 2014, I had a great aunt who was turning 100. And this great aunt, my great aunt Viola, had been one of these people who had walked four miles to get her degree at Southern Illinois University. And she married a Tuskegee Airman and she traveled with him when he was training to teach the children of other Tuskegee Airmen before they shipped off. And so she was this important person in our family. Uh, my grandmother had passed away, so she was the last of their generation to survive. I wanted to do something special to honor and commemorate her birthday. And I remembered that I had gone to a family reunion 2001, like 13 years before, and part of the family reunion materials that we had at that time was this little excerpt that had been typed up that basically said that uh, it was a, an excerpt of a will. And it said, I, John Sutton, being of sound mind, but infirm in body, hereby make my last will and testament. And I own the following property to wit, a mulatto slave, Lucy, aged about 45 and her eight children, Easter, etc., listed by name and by age, and Easter's six children, down to the little toddler who was six-month-old Mahala. So I remembered that from these reunion materials, and I thought maybe if I can find that will somehow, I can bring that to this reunion and celebrate my great aunt's 100th birthday. And um, I started looking around, and I figured, I'm a trust and estates litigator. I should be able to find this. It right. lists where the book and the pages, where these documents are. And I started calling around to lawyers in Florida. And I was the first fellow in the American College of Trust and Estate Council. So that gave me access to, first black fellow. So it gave me access to a directory of lawyers from across the country. And I started calling these lawyers. And one called me back and said there was the Great Fire of Jacksonville, which is where they had lived. Uh, in 1901, it destroyed virtually all the records. You're probably not going to find anything. Mm -hmm. disappointed yeah. but there was a paralegal who called me and she said I got your message and yeah there was the fire but let me see what I could do mm -hmm. at the end of that day I had an email from her saying we found a John Sutton file we don't know if it's the right one but we should have it by Friday of this week and that Friday morning I went into the office and um, this was the week before I was going back to Illinois for my great aunt's 100th birthday and I had this email that said, we found it. We found the right file. Um, what do you want me to do? And I said, take a picture. And then like across the internet and across the country and across 170 years of time came these images yeah. of this red wax seal on a two-page document that had been handwritten by a lawyer in 1846 that set my family free. And so uh, I just need you to stop for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Because you're used to telling this story. Yes. But I, I, I need to breathe. My listeners might need to breathe a little bit too. I mean, I, I just want us to take in how incredible that is. First of all, it's difficult for us as African-Americans to try to, to trace our history. I mean, I'm trying to look for things on my uh, 
grandmother, not even my great, 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 but my grandmother. And it's difficult to find. So, so you thank thank God that you were a fellow, like the first American fellow. We could, we could go into why the first at this day and age, but but we're not (laughs) going to do that today. But, but because you had access to information, to people, you were able to get information. So can you just tell me, and, and yes, of course you will continue the story, but what was that like for you? You know, we all watch, uh, sometimes we watch finding our roots and we just see how people are just in tears or emotional when they find out something about their ancestors. What was that like for you to just, just get this papers? It was like this emotional moment to actually see these images of these documents that my great, 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 great grandfather, four grades, had made his mark on. It wasn't a signature. And it was emotional to see it. And, and it really became almost like an obsession to understand this story. You know, it didn't, it said that he didn't have, it didn't say anything about a white wife. And I kept trying to figure out why did this particular set of circumstances happen in my family? Mm-hmm. Why was it that this woman was freed? And I believe that even though there wasn't much that said about Lucy, except for the fact that she was a, quote, mulatto slave aged above 45, and, and I prefer to say an enslaved person, but this is what the will said, mm-hmm. that that this enslaved person, Lucy, must have somehow caused John to think about her humanity in a way that most people of their time would never do. Uh, Mm -hmm. And even if they had children together, uh, you know, there were lots of white men who had lots of children because it was an economic benefit. You can create as many children as you want and every child of of an enslaved woman becomes a slave as well, an enslaved person as well. And so what was it that made John Sutton make this decision to set these people free. And I have to believe that it was Lucy's love for her family, for her children, that she pressed him and said, look, this isn't going to be safe for me when you're gone, because uh, he was 30 years older than she was. Uh, and I need to know that my children are going to be safe. I believe that in my heart. Um, and that caused him uh, really to take several steps, which I only found out over time, that they moved from Ware County, Georgia, where they lived, to Jacksonville, Florida, believing he could set her free. That was like 100 miles. And they took almost like 400 cows to move there. Uh, and so they packed up their lives to move to Florida, thinking he could set them free. But it wasn't until they got there that they found out that it was illegal to set people free in Florida, that you couldn't just set them free. If you set somebody free, you had to pay $200. Uh, you had to pay post a bond for their value, and they had to leave the state within thirty days. So you so, literally so the enslaved person had to leave the state within thirty days, not exactly. knowing where they were going. Hmm. So you know, sometimes people say, "Well, you know, why didn't you know if, if someone knew morally that it was wrong to own other people, why didn't they just set people free?" Well, one, there's an economic aspect to it, but two, literally you could not legally set someone free in the state of Florida because the white people who were there were afraid that free, more free blacks would unite with enslaved 
black people and that they would overtake them uh, because the numbers were such that there was about this sort of balance in, in Florida. Uh, so, so let's back up just for a second. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so he left Georgia. Right. Because he couldn't set her, set her free there. Right. And, and what prohibited him? Was it the laws in Georgia? The, law, the laws in Georgia were even more rigid. And okay. Florida had more of a history of, I think because of its Spanish connection, that um, uh, had various versions of mixtures that were sort of acceptable in culture in one way or another. There was racism, of course. But, um, you know, the American idea of you're Black or you're white, and if you're Black, then you're presumed to be a slave. That idea was pushing into Florida. Uh, but prior to the time that they moved there, there were lots of lots of people would escape to Florida, uh, sort of mix in with the Seminole, sort of, uh, and, and be able to establish lives there. Yeah, wasn't there something, is it um, Florida that's 116th of Black blood, you know, like I know you can cross state lines to eat and be considered right. black in one place and not black in another. But but let's not skip over something that yeah. you said. Um, you asked the question, what was it that caused him? And you said, I think he saw her humanity. Maybe it was a little bit more than that, because probably they saw a lot of people's, I hope, well, not a lot. They still enslaved folks. But I'm sure there were other people that he saw their humanity, but did not set them free. He went through some lengths to go to Florida. So do you think it was possible for him as an owner to be in love with his enslaved person? See, that's that's the thing that um, in, in my heart, what do I think? I, yes, there was some bond there that was strong, uh, and, and you know, I'm reluctant to call it love because in a situation where one person owns another person, um, there's no consent. So at least from Lucy's side of it, uh, you know, uh, whatever she might have felt from him, she had no control over what would happen. Yes. Uh, I believe he probably did love her, and I believe he loved those eight children and those six grandchildren, and maybe when he saw that first grandchild, something in him turned and really caused him to to understand in ways that most other white men of his time chose not to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, part of this journey, after I fish, first found those documents and took them to the family reunion, I, I was sort of caught up in that. I wrote an article wondering, could love have been the core of the reason why he set them free. Mm-hmm. And then I heard from this professor who had done a bunch of research and found lots of cases where people fought to keep people enslaved after these white men had set people free. And that caused me to go down a path of trying to figure out whether I should tell that story of mm-hmm. how some people would fight to keep people enslaved. So it's really rather complicated. I, I will you know, I won't forget when I read the story of Jefferson and Sally Hemings and then saw the movie. And uh, I thought, wait a minute, first of all, she was 13. (laughs) So let's talk about child abuse. Secondly, you owned her. So she had no consent. 
But it becomes rather complicated when we get when we begin to see people based on their humanity and based on their soul and based on their spirit. And then we're caught up in the vortex of the time in right. which we live in. And it gets rather complicated. Is it love? Is it control? Is it power? But is, it, you have, is it making the most of the circumstances you have? Right. And so you have these documents to say that his intention was to free her. And so there was something that went into that story of, wait a minute, he was willing to leave his state, 400 cattle, did you say? About 400 the, cows, yeah. And then taking all of these uh, people with him. 14 people. So what, what, what was that about for him? But we have to take a quick break. Yeah. And, and maybe our listeners can, can just kind of think about this as well during the break. Uh, if you would love to, if you're joining us on Facebook and you'd like to put a comment uh, in the, in the chat for us to, uh, to ask Terry some questions around this, we would love for you to do that. So we are going to take a quick break. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm talking today with my guest, Terry Franklin, and we were talking about Terry's path to understanding his family's journey to freedom. So before the break, we were, of course, talking about um, how your fourth great grandfather, um, his will was to free Lucy Sutton and her family. And then, of course, we were getting into a discussion around 
was it possible that he loved her? So I, I'd like to continue this story. What happened after they moved on to uh, Florida and he found out that it was more complicated to free Lucy? Well, one of the fascinating, fascinating things that's happened is after we found the, discovered the documents, I had occasion to go to Florida for a conference, a lawyer's conference, and drove five and a half hours up the state because I wanted to see these original documents my, myself and put my finger on that X that John had made that set our family free. And I thought, you know, you talked about the emotion. I thought, what is this emotionally going to be like when I really touch those freedom papers, you know? Um, and there was a long drama of how we got there and counting lynchings, and, and I can tell you more about that. But um, by the time we arrived and got to the documents and saw these original documents that had somehow managed to survive the great fire of 1901 that had destroyed everything else in Jacksonville, because I know that I had to get these documents because I needed to be the one to tell the story and share it with you. Um, but part of the file, you know, I, instead of being emotional, when I touched that document, I was the lawyer brain kicks in. I'm going, wait, there's other doc, other pages in here. What is all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And I discovered that there had been a challenge to the will, a contest that was brought by John's brother. Uh, and earlier I had, in chanting with my ancestors, had been inspired to believe that that maybe the will had been challenged. I didn't know this until I saw the documents. And I was writing a novel, outlining a novel, and I'd made up a relative for John, his brother, and I called him Eustace because it was a good old-timey name, right? Right, right. Um, And uh, because I'd been chanting and I felt like my ancestors had inspired me to keep looking for this, when I opened that file and I saw that there really was a brother of John who really did challenge the will, and that his name was Shadrach, which is even more old time <laughs> than Jesus. Right. <laughs> Go back to to uh, to the Old Testament, right? And, um, and part of what the file included was a transcript from the will contest trial, uh, the, and it indicated it was the judge's handwritten notes. So William F. Crabtree, the judge who was presiding over the trial, took notes and. He said that Gregory Yale, who was the lawyer, testified that John had an appointment to come into Jacksonville to to do this will, but John was too sick to come and see him. He was in his 70s. So instead, the lawyer came out to the house, which is like a two-day horse ride. John's sons, not his slaves, but John's sons uh, showed him in, and they explained that the reason why they had moved to Florida from Georgia was because he believed he could set them free there, but they didn't find out until they got there when his son sort of investigated and found out that they couldn't do so. And they explained that Lucy came into the room at one point while the lawyer was meeting with John and she was asked, where would she want to be? And she said she would have been just as happy to stay there in Jacksonville, except Shadrach had always threatened that he would beat them if he ever came to own them. Ah. And, um, you know, the, but the testimony does indicate that Lucy was a sensible old Negro, uh, you know, uh, however, her testimony was disregarded and it yeah. was literally stricken out from the document. 
But you could still read it. I can still read it, but you know, just a hand, like one line striking out what, what she said to the lawyer who then testified in court. And I think about the power and the value of the fact that if I hadn't, if it wasn't my destiny to find these documents and to share this story, we wouldn't know about Lucy's desires and her intent as a human being, that she was concerned about protecting her family, her children, and making sure that they would be safe. And so she said, I would have been happy to stay there, but this isn't a safe situation. I've got to get out of here. Mm. So it, it makes you wonder about all the other drama that was going on behind the scene. <laughs> Why would Shadrach threaten to beat them? What was the dynamic of of John and his brother and all of these things? I, it gets rather complicated, doesn't it? And and you you referred to this before of the circumstances that we're living in. Are you trying to make the best of? A horrible situation for everybody because I think one thing that that's really critical for us to think about in this journey to dismantle racism we cannot discount every person that looks differently than we do and we do have to understand that there are white people in our history who were about justice for as much as they could under the circumstances right you know there there are stories of where people um, silently fought for our freedom. Um, of course, and we know about the abolitionists, right? right. So, so we don't know what, what was going on between John and Lucy. Um, we do know that there was power and control, I'm sure. That, that goes without saying, I think, because we think about racially and we even think about in terms of the patriarchy. But that does not mean that there wasn't this sense of of humanity. And so as you're discovering all of this, and I love so much that you're connected with your guides who already forewarned you that there was more for you to do. So you weren't completely shocked right? when you got there. Were there other discoveries that you you ran into about your with your family's history? Yeah, there's. It seems like once you start peeling it back and finding these things, and uh, then, then you find more and more and more. And, uh, you know, that's part of the reason why I feel so compelled to do creative projects that will help to expand and share the story more widely, because it allows me to use my creativity and my imagination to connect these facts and tell the story in what I hope is a compelling way. So, you know, when when we think about whatever caused John to make up his mind to to really break free from a whole racist system. I mean, if you think about the fact that here's a white man mm-hmm. who makes up his mind that he wants to set these people free for whatever reason, I think it was love or some emotion or something that connected to their humanity. He actually moves, you know, a hundred miles before hundred cows, finds that he can't do that, does a will to make sure they're going to be set free. That's a lot of effort to go through to really break down what is, you know, a, a seamless web of, of racism that mm-hmm. protected slavery as a system, uh, you yeah. know. Yeah. So you imagine what what is it that's going on today that we're living in, in our world, that we are not recognizing that we need to take extra effort or make take extra action to try to 
fight the racism that exists. And right, you know, right. and I know I, I diverged I, a, li- a little bit from, you, from your question, which was other no, things. No, no, it's, it's fine because because it's a perfect thing. Like if people could work and try to dismantle the systems back then in the best way that they knew how we could do the same thing. You know, I was thinking though, as you were talking, we were we were saying that maybe John and Lucy were in love, but could it have been possible that he was her father or you knew that he was not well, her father? Well, we, she was a mulatto. We know that he was not her father because I know who her father was. Oh. Her father was actually a, a white man whose name was um, um, Ezekiel Adams. And Ezekiel Adams and John Sutton were good friends. And when Ezekiel Adams died, he had a son who was a year younger than Lucy, so Lucy's white half-brother. And he was too young to inherit property in his own name. John Sutton became the guardian for William Adams, and therefore whatever William Adams would have owned, John owned, and that included Lucy. That's how he came to own her in the first place. And what's interesting is that John named William Adams as the executor of his estate because he trusted that William Adams would make sure that the family would make it to Illinois. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. William Adams went with the family. The story is that they went on boats from, uh, they went from Jacksonville up to Savannah, got on boats, went across the Gulf of Mexico, through New Orleans, and then up the Mississippi to Illinois, where they claim their freedom. And the copy of the will that is in Pope County, Illinois, has a notation by William Adams saying, I was the executor, I did my duty, I brought them to Illinois, and now they can enjoy their full and perfect freedom. And then he went back to Florida and lived, and lived the rest of his life. So um, That is fascinating, Terry. It's like family, you know, clearly these half-brother and sister, which you would think, in that in those times that he would he would not have had respect for her or necessarily treated her in a way that was kind and saw her her humanity but William Adams saw that and took care of her and made sure that they would get there safely so i have to just just pause this for a second because most often we don't want to hear about our history you know there's this big uh debate now about critical race theory because folks don't want to talk about our history but what if we were telling even the stories that are just like the ones that you're telling there were stories that happened in our past that were not all bad now sure enslavement was bad don't don't that's not what i'm saying what i'm trying to say though is that there were people who stepped up to the plate. And one of the things that I do in my teachings, because oftentimes the folks who come to work with me are feeling guilty or or shame or fear and all of these things. And I always say, but what if you looked in your past? What if you looked at the, the people in the past who were doing some things? What about white people who were abolitionists, white people who were fighting? You don't have to live in this place. And maybe it wasn't your ancestors you know, but don't live in this place of shame, deal with it, deal with it. But I think the stories we tell, they really do matter. What is the narrative that we hold? And so we do have to take another quick break. And what I'd love to do, Terry, when we come back just for a second, because I know that uh, uh, I don't want to run out of time before we, we do this, 
you have some pictures in the back of you, which I, I love. And, and one is, is of Lucy's granddaughter, I believe. Right. And so, um, yes. So after the breaker now, (laughs) well, now that you picked it up, why don't you go ahead? This is Sarah. This is actually Lucy's daughter. She was 17 in 1846. So she was an enslaved person. Uh, she lived until 1910 and this is my great, great, great grandmother, Sarah. Um, and, uh, you know, you, here's this young, young girl who looks like a white woman who was enslaved. And we have to remember the absurdity of race right. as a construct. So. Right. Because if you think about it, if she looks that white, I mean, what did, what did Lucy look, look like? I mean, unless. I mean, right. yeah, I guess Lucy would have been half black and half white uh, and yeah. only a quarter black. Right. Right. But, right. But then again, they said mulatto, but who knows? Because we don't know. We don't know whether Lucy's mother, well, you might, was Lucy's mother even. Uh, we, we, yeah. I, I would so love many. to know who Lucy's mother was. That's yes, the there's, there's so many pieces because that does look like a white woman there. And in back of you is your grandfather. No, to the, to your uh, other side. This is Lucy. This is Sarah's son. This was George Sumner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, cause Sarah married a man named William Sumner. And there's an interesting story about him too. He's from a family, um, in Tennessee that was owned by a white man who owned, I think he owned 50 people. And he did a will that said he does not believe that God intended for one, one form of one type of human to own another type of human. So he left instructions for all of his enslaved people to be set free left money for them to establish uh, a settlement in Indiana oh, and a free state of their own. So, so, so this was Sarah's husband's owner who did that? Sarah's husband's owner. So Sarah's husband, was he mulatto white? Cause, because I, um, William Sumner was probably mulatto, you know, mixed race okay. uh, and had been in Tennessee and then found his way to Illinois where he, where he met Sarah. But it's interesting that we have these strains of, you know, he was an abolitionist, essentially. Yes, um, right, exactly, exactly. So, so finding these stories reminds us that we all have the ability to change things, you know. We don't have yeah. to sit in the the racism and the oppression that we live in. We can change it. That's what these people did. Exactly. Well, Terry, we do have to take a quick break. We will be right back. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble 
On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest today, Terry Franklin. And Terry has told us so much in terms of finding out his family's uh, history. And I know we're going to run out of time really soon, Terry. So I have just a couple more uh, questions I want to ask you. Uh, One, what would you, what advice would you give to our listeners about, you know, tracking down our own family's history as it relates to, uh, you know, our, our journey to freedom or for those who want to know about their family's involvement with dismantling racism? Uh, you know, I would encourage people to to try all kinds of things, because as we move further and further in technology, there is more and more access to libraries and resource research that you can get without having to go a long distance or spend a lot of money. Um, I was fortunate that I had um, some access to information that people had gathered before. So I would also encourage people to talk to your older family members, look around to see what they've collected, because sometimes you can find clues that will lead you on a path that will get you back to where you need to be to understand what happened. Um, and then, you know, for a lot of people who come up to me when I tell this story and they go, oh, I don't have anything and I wish I could find these documents. I say, you know, look and you'll probably find something. But if you don't have a story of your own, Take mine, you know, take this story, this understanding about people looking for humanity and trying to find a way to be anti-racist in a time that is even more obviously racist than ours and use that to inspire you to do something better, to make things better, to change the world for the better. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I encourage people to just look for it even if you tried before there may be stuff online that you couldn't find before ancestry.com and uh, 23andme are both useful resources mm, thank you now another question i want to ask you because i i noticed your dragon fly sure. and that's there tell me a little bit about why you wear that um well the dragonfly usually wear at least one a day is that um as we were thinking about how to tell the story about the power of what came with us that keeps us moving forward from Africa. And, and we add to the narrative story that I'm telling both in the novel and the series for TV, uh, a story about Lucy's mother's, you know, being stolen from Africa. And um, I was trying to think of something to capture the idea that something so small can really keep us um, mm. uh, connected. And, and we came up with this idea that the spirit of Mother Africa traveled on the vibration of a dragonfly's wing, crossed vast oceans in the hulls of slave ships, bringing with it all the strength and the wisdom of the ancestors back seven plus generations and everything we need to overcome terrors and tortures unimaginable. 
So when I see a dragonfly or think about the idea of something that's inside of us that we may not be able to see, as small as the vibration of a dragonfly's wing, that can inspire us to move forward, even when we think that there's little hope. Well, I will, I will definitely think of that the next time I see one. Usually when I see a dragonfly, I actually think about a friend's father because she believes that her father shows up in the dragonfly. And so now I will carry, carry that additional piece. Um, one other fascinating thing about you um, that I just want to mention, there is someone that you were in honors French class with uh, in high school, and you also overlapped at, at Harvard. So who is that that friend of yours that the world might know a little bit about? You no, know, my, my old friend, Michelle Robinson Obama. I have a book over here on the shelf. Yeah, we were in French class together for three years in high school together. And uh, uh, when I got to Harvard, she was a class ahead of me in law school. And uh, she danced, and we hadn't seen each other in years. And... Uh, so I ended up going to both inaugurations uh, and have sort of seen her from a distance, but obviously she's surrounded by too far, far too many people for me to get access to her. <laughs> right. Uh, she, she is pretty much like, like you, like you think that, you know, this normal person who, uh, who, who worked hard and, and who should inspire all of us to really bring out the best that any of us have. So we're mm-hmm. to have her as an inspiration and connection. So it's really interesting because I saw a picture of a plaque recently, I believe it was from South Carolina, that was dedicated to one of her ancestors. And it was related to, you know, just kind of seeing how far we've come. So we have a long ways to go in dismantling racism, but this plaque was around, you know, connecting the ancestor with the first lady of uh, the United States. And so I just really want us to be encouraged as we, as we move along, you know, uh, on this road to dismantling racism. I know that it is overwhelming sometimes. I know that we get tired and know that we get weary. I know, you know, like Fannie Lou Hamer said, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and we're just <laughs> exhausted. Right. And, but we have to do something. And that was Fannie Lou Hamer point. We've got to do something. So I want to encourage our listeners today to to hear the story that you've told, Terry, about your your ancestors, about Lucy. And we can imagine all we want to about what occurred during that time and why they did what they did. But the truth or, or the fact remains is that your grandfather for four generations removed or John Sutton, not your grandfather, actually the, the intention was there. And that's the thing that we have to look at. So I want to invite our listeners just to kind of think about what is your intention around dismantling racism? One day, as Terry said, you will be the ancestors and someone will look back in your past and they will be able to know the kind of person that you you were based on how you're living your life now. And so I want to encourage you to do all you can to dismantle racism. Terry, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more about you and the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, I, I have a podcast called The Last Little Lucy Sutton that's available on all of the 
the spots where you'd expect it to be. Um, and we're, um, you can also look for uh, lucysutton.com and go to the blog spot. Uh, that's where I post information about places where I'm going to be. There's a Facebook page called The Last Will of Lucy Sutton. I'm on Twitter at uh, Terry Franklin, uh, Terry Franklin LA. And I'm also on Instagram, Terry Franklin. Uh, love to have people follow or check in there because I do post things about these presentations. And hopefully, you know, you'll be seeing some of our work, either uh, our limited series for TV or we have a bunch of projects, a documentary planned. And uh, and uh, I'm just out here trying to share this story because my mission is to bend the arc of history towards justice by sharing this story and other stories like it. Yes. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And please. Uh, how, why don't you help us end the show today with just a quick meditation? All right. Um, as I said, Nam Myoho Renge Kyo means dedication to the mystic law of cause and effect. And this is about really trying to connect to the power that we all have within us um, and to connect that, uh, how that connects us to everyone else. So I'll just close with three Nam Myoho Renge Kyo's, which is, uh, you know, for peace of all human, for all peace of the world and the universe and happiness of all living beings. Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Thank you. Thank you so much, Attorney Terry Franklin, for being with us. Thank you to my listeners. I so appreciate you tuning in each week. Stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life hi i'm pat duckworth women's health strategist and host of the hot women rock radio show empowering women leaders at menopause join me every thursday at 10 a.m eastern time 3 p.m uk time on talkradio.nyc 
for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 